Before I get into the message this morning, I want to just draw your attention to the glass room that's right outside of the auditorium. Um, we've never had a space like that, and so everyone's a little bit like, Ben, what's the point of that? It's mysterious. You call it the glass room. A number of you have told me it's the fishbowl. Didn't know that. Um, we, call, we refer to it internally as a staff. We refer to it as the Connection Center, but I, I just want you to know what its purpose is. And what it is is we really want it to become kind of Grand Central Station for, for all things that happen outside of this room at Epic, for a, a place where you can just hang out, a place where uh, our staff and leaders can pray for you. If there's ever questions you have, we're going to have resources there. Uh, anybody that was here at the service last weekend, we talked about some, some books. We have those books in the Connection Center. We'll actually give you one today. Uh, the books we talked about last week, Mere Christianity, The Reason for God, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, you can actually receive one of those today. So we're going to continue to stock it with resources. If you just need to be prayed for, uh, you want to make a decision to place your faith in Jesus, whatever happens uh, at Epic, just know that that's going to become kind of the central place for you to be able to chill, hang out, but, but make significant decisions. We have people there that are ready for you. Uh, the Hope Project video is going to be playing through there from Uganda. Uh, we've got packets in there. And so just we want that to become the normal place. Like, oh, where is that? The answer would be class. That is probably in the fishbowl, connection center, glass room. All right. So we, we're, we're down with that. Uh, today, what I want to do, and don't get too excited, but what I want to do today is talk about what my biggest issue in my life is. All of a sudden, everybody's like, man, I love to hear other people's junk. So come on, pastor. We are all ears. Um, I not only want to talk about what my biggest issue is, I want to talk about what your biggest issue is. I want to talk about what our church's biggest issue is. I want to talk about if you work in a company or an organization, I, my guess is that this is the biggest issue within that company or organization. I really believe it's the biggest issue in the world. But the problem is if we can't solve this issue, I think it's going to keep us from living joy-filled and purpose-filled lives. Okay, I really believe that. But if we could solve the issue, I believe we would uh, find ourselves waking up to a, to a reality we might have not yet experienced. And so here's the issue. Like, what is the issue? And how do you know my issues? And I'm not saying your specific issue, but here's our, our, the general issue that I think is the biggest issue for every one of us. Here it is. The inability to live for anything beyond ourselves. The inability to live for anything beyond ourselves. If you want to talk about what's wrong in the world, you want to talk about income inequality, you want to talk about selfish churches, you want to talk about relationships that don't work out. I think at the end of the day, what they're all summed up under is this massive issue, which is we struggle, even when we're doing good for others, we struggle to live for anything and anyone beyond ourselves. Right? Some of you are like, Pastor, that's just you, not us. Um, all right, well, it's just me. Let me just give you my stuff. They'll make this therapeutic. And, and I just think this is, and here's how this thing gets fleshed out. In our company, some of you have said, and you've heard your bosses say and coworkers say, uh, the reason I'm here is because I most want to see our company succeed. Anybody ever hear that, said that? And what you mean when you say that, the one of you that's being honest with me this morning, what you mean when you say that is this, I want our company to succeed as long as I get everything I want right? In church, everybody's like, whatever church you're a part of, many of us, obviously this church, like I want the church's mission to succeed as long as it can succeed according to my preferences, right? We get into these relationships and we want our marriages or our dating relationships to be powerful or the relationships we have with our parents or the relationships we have with our kids. We want them to be tremendous and be thriving as long as what? As long as in that I get what I want. Anybody else? Just me. 
Like, no, Ben, just you. Hey, hey, let, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel you in somehow. Here's a classic example. You have someone special in your life, and you go and purchase a costly gift for that someone. Okay? I'm going to show you that, Ben, see, I've done that. I'm not just in it for myself. Let me show you how even in that, oftentimes we are in it just for ourselves. You buy that amazing gift. The anticipation builds, right? You can't even wait to give it to them on the day you're supposed to give it to them because you know with the opening of that gift, they're going to think you're the most amazing man or the most amazing woman on the planet, right? Because you're just so other-centered, right? You just know that when they open it, they're going to think you're awesome. And so it gets to that moment. They open the gift. They do say thank you, but it isn't enough, is it? It's like, but you don't know how much this costs, right? And all of a sudden, because they don't, um, they don't show the proper gratitude and amazement that we thought they would, all of a sudden, what do we feel? Well, we wasted that money, right? Why? Because even when we do something for other people, it's still hard for us to get ourselves out of the way, right? A mom or dad, they want to be a great parent, I want to be a great pastor. I can say, oh, we're going to accomplish this mission. And I moved all across the country to be able to start this church. I just want to reach people. And even in that, like, what? yes, I have issues, okay? But even in that, for me and for you. And the problem is, even when we get beyond ourselves for a day or two or a year, this still is our automatic default. This is the thing that you default to. It is the thing that I default to. And what's crazy to me is that when things are really good, I'm at the center of my own life. And when things are really bad, I'm especially at the center of my own life. And so are you. And this is just kind of what happens to us. We've, we, we, we've been doing this found series. And the big idea of the found series is that we're looking for something, one thing that will take care of everything else. And so we begin this pursuit. And here's what pursuit you're in today. And I'm pursuit, the pursuit I'm in today. I just want to find something that works for me. And if we're honest, we really don't care if it works for everyone else. As long as I'm taken care of, I'm good. And so what we do is put ourselves at the center. We lie to ourselves and say, if we're at the center of the universe, we will have a deep satisfaction. We will have a lot of joy. We'll be living with the right purpose in our lives. And if I could be honest, you don't have to, okay? But if I could be honest this morning, I've spent a large chunk of my life doing it my way, doing it for me, spending my time on me, spending 100% or can I say it more than 100% on me? Anybody? I've spent a lot of my life that way. And I just want to say not only is it selfish and all of that, it just hasn't worked. And I'm looking for something that will work. And I think the thing that could work for us is if we were to know something, if we were to hear something, if we were to see something that could lift us out of living self-absorbed lives. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you need a Bible this morning, just lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Keep your hands up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Keep those up until you have a Bible in your hand. This is yours to keep. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in verse 14 in just a minute. This is a, a, the second letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, they're pretty messed up. He addresses a lot of that in this letter, but especially a whole lot of it in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians. And now what I think Paul's doing with this one text, even though it's one scripture, I believe Paul is giving us the overarching grand narrative of what God's up to in history and what he's up to in the world and what he's up to in your life. And I think there's something in here, almost the secret, if you will, for how we can live a life that's beyond ourselves, how we can live a life that's beyond ourselves, how we can reject what has become the default for every single one of us in this room, I believe. And if we could live a life beyond just ourselves, I I think we would come alive in ways we've yet to experience. So stand with me, 2 Corinthians 5. 
We'll start in 14, though the whole text is amazing. This, you can go all the way back to the start of chapter 5 and, and beyond. But for our purposes this morning, we'll start in 14, we'll go through 21. And what I want to do is look at how can I be lifted out of this life of self-absorption and live for something beyond myself? How can we as a church live for something beyond ourselves? And I believe in this text, Paul's pointing out the grand narrative in all of history and how it involves us and how it affects the world. Here's what he says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come, and all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us, he handed us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. You may be seated. I believe this text, as I just mentioned, I believe it really gives us the grand sweeping narrative in all of human history, what I might call from God's vantage point, all of redemptive history. I think it's all in this text. It gets said in other ways throughout the scriptures. It, there are other instances, there are stories, but Paul is writing uh, certainly a theological treatise here, but at the same time, this, the, he's pointing to what the grand narrative of the universe is from God's perspective, which doesn't matter who, other, who else's perspective is out there, right? If the God who created the world has a, has a narrative he wants to implement in the world, then probably that's what we should pay attention to. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to earth? You would give me a number of reasons. I hope we would be, imagine that we're just one small group here, which is difficult, but we're one small group and we're like, why did Jesus come to earth? Here, here might be some of your responses. Ben, he came to show us a better way to live true. Ben, he came to teach us about the principles of living in a certain kind of way or method. True. And, and then someone in the small group go like, listen, you guys aren't spiritual enough. He came to die for us. Right. And then all of the, the people who answered first, you know how this works in a group, right? You're like, oh man, I'm not that spiritual. Um, but, but the person goes, yeah, he came to die for us. He loved us so much that he came to reconcile us as we just read to God, the father. That is true. He came to forgive us. That is true. He came to offer mercy. That is true. He came to offer grace. That is all true, but that isn't the whole truth. Paul gives us explicitly in this text, one more truth to why Jesus came to earth and even why he died on the cross. Look at verse 15. Here's what he said. Jesus died for us so that we might no longer live for ourselves. Jesus died for us. Lots of reasons that we've already expressed that are true, but here's another one. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't die for you so that you could wrap the rest of your life around yourself. He died for you so that you might no longer live for yourself, so that I might no longer live for myself, so that our church community might no longer live for ourselves. 
And what I want to do with the rest of the time I have this morning, I want to give you two overarching reasons or ways that we can lift ourselves up from only living for ourselves. One is by seeing what the death of Jesus has done. And the second one is understanding our invitation to the mission of Jesus. Okay, so I want to talk about the death of Jesus, how it frees us from self-absorption. And then I want to talk about how the mission of Jesus does the same thing. And when you combine those, I believe we become alive in ways many of us have yet to know, at least on a consistent basis. So the death of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Here's what's true. If, if I don't think anyone else has solved the deepest problem I have in my heart and in my life, then I've got to solve it myself, right? I've got to figure out how to pay for it. I've got to figure out how to get accomplished enough. I, figure, I have to figure out in the religion world how to be good enough. And if I can produce some things on my own, I can take care of myself. But what happens when you and I actually embrace the reality that someone else has solved our deepest issue? Now, some of you are like, Ben, you don't know what my deepest issue is. Well, let me just attempt it by saying this. Our deepest issue is that the God who made us for relationship with himself is separated from us. And everybody wants to go, well, Ben, why did he walk out on us? He, he, he wasn't the one who walked out. We did. Here's what the text says that, that, that he set up. At the end of verse 15, it says that for our sake, Jesus died and was raised. For our sake. So, so God is sending Jesus into the world to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Otherwise, his life, his death, and resurrection become pointless. Jesus is not coming to earth because he couldn't figure out um, a, a great way to spend his time. Okay? He's been worshipped by angels forever. I've never been worshipped by angels, but I'm assuming coming to hang out with us wouldn't be a better deal. But, but, but Jesus comes because God wants to do something. He wants to, to, to bring us back into harmonious relationship with himself. He knows that there's something broken. There's some separation there. And it's a cosmic separation. And so what he does is he sends Jesus, who for our sake dies and for our sake is raised from the dead. And that's good news. And then, and then he gets better news in verse 17. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, he says we are this new creation, that the, the old has gone away and the, the new has come, that, that we can actually be made someone different and we've always been. And Paul wrote this. And the reason this is such a big deal to Paul is because he experienced this with his life. Have you? In the first century, the movement of Jesus is going and it is, it is picking up steam. But there are those who oppose the movement of Jesus. And guess who's one of the greatest opponents of the movement of Jesus? We're talking about Paul. So I'm going to ask you guys again. All right. We're talking about this guy, Paul. Talking about Paul. First century. Guess who was one of the biggest class opponents of the movement of Jesus in the first century? It was... It was Paul. He was dragging people off. He wanted them to, them to be murdered because they followed this man named Jesus. His life gets transformed. And guess who becomes, same answer class, guess who becomes the biggest proponent of the movement of Jesus in the first century and writes more in the Bible than anyone else? We're getting somewhere. And so he could say with great authority and certainty, if he can change me, he can change you. Be like, but Ben, he doesn't know my past. He tried to kill Christians. The God who transformed him, who um, allowed him to experience that, meta, that, that metamorphosis happening right there. God is saying through Paul that you, you, you can be someone new. And in fact, one of our six values here at Epic comes directly from this idea. And it's this, because of the grace of Jesus, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Our past doesn't have to dictate our future. You do not have to be who you've always been. And it doesn't matter how bad the thing was or how long it lasted or how many years you've been doing it. You don't have to be who you are today. 
first service, we experienced five baptisms, just people declaring that I'm not who I was. And I just want you to, because you weren't at the 930 service, I just want you to see some pictures of the people who just proclaimed this at 930. I don't know if they're praying, singing, or running away, but... Baptism depicts what verse 17 is telling us. We've been made new. And to know the stories of these individuals, uh, pretty fascinating to see them take that step and declare to this church community today, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And Paul is going, he's saying to us, if this can happen for me, it can happen for you. Verse 18, he goes on with this thought about how we can get out of this self-absorbed life by telling us what God has done for us. He says that God sent Jesus to reconcile us back to God. This is the best message on the planet, people. I hope you get a raise. I hope that you get the bonus. I hope if you want to live here the rest of your life, anybody, that you get it. I hope that happens. But that that news will pale in comparison to this news, that God of his own initiative, even though we aren't the ones, or he isn't the one who rebelled, we rebelled against him. He of his own initiative sends Jesus to put us back together. That's, that's what he's doing for you. That's, that's the whole idea uh, of reconciliation. But verse 21, I think, gets to the height of this message of Jesus Christ. Um, I believe verse 21 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians is one of the best articulations of the gospel message of Jesus anywhere in the scriptures. And here's what it says. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Like, Ben, that's confusing. All right, let's break it down. Here's what he says. For our sake, for, for, for the Corinthians, but this is true universally. For our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's Jesus, God the Son, made him to be sin who knew no sin. Here's what he's saying. Jesus was spotless. He was perfect. He was sinless. So he had no experience. He was not intimately acquainted with sin during his life or before his life on earth. He had no dealing with sin. He had, he, he had not touched it. He had not tasted it. He had not experienced it. So what does it mean? It means that when it says him, he who knew no sin became sin, it means that on the cross, Jesus put the world's sin on himself and he owned it as though it were his own. As though it were his own. As though my sin, yep, even the one I wish and hope no one ever finds out about, he owned it as though it were his own so that I could own the righteousness as if it were my own. Like, Ben, what's the central message of Christianity? Like, I get asked this a lot, which I love. Here's the central message. God sends his one and only perfect son to die as though he was so imperfect and had sinned so that you and I might receive his righteousness as though we had never sinned. As though we had never sinned. In verse 19, Paul talks about this idea that um, no longer counting their trespasses against them. And anyone, can anyone, I, I can't at least forget my sin. Anybody else? Like, I know it, and I know the dark spots, and if you um, don't remember yours, we're, we're going to just throw a movie up of your worst five minutes. Uh, I'm going to have a seat. You can explain it later. Um, we're going to bring the popcorn and fountain drink in. Isn't it so much better at the movies, popcorn? Took my middle son to see the big Hero 6 yesterday, but I was really there just for the popcorn. Um, and, you know, I tell you, the worst, I need to get off this tangent quick, but the worst ever was when people started putting calories on the scoreboard, right? The concession stand, like, but it felt so good to eat 2,000 calories of popcorn before I knew it was 2,000 calories. Um, all of us know our past, and none of us want to watch the movie again, but somehow we just, we, we can't shake it. 
but, but your past doesn't dictate your future. Jesus has come to make a way for you to be different, for you to be reconciled to God. And it says their trespasses don't get counted against them or our trespasses don't get counted against us. Do you know how? Did God just dismiss our sin and go, well, we'll just pretend like they didn't do it. Did he sweep it under the rug? No. The reason your sin doesn't get counted against you is because your sins got counted against Jesus. And he's paid a price you could not pay. And he's done for you what you could not do for yourself. And I believe when we see what the death of Jesus has done for us personally, we no longer have to live lives 24-7 focused on us. I think this is the first way we remove self-absorption and self-consumption from our lives. The second is to be um, awakened to the reality that we've been invited into the mission of Jesus. So the death of Jesus accomplishes something, but the mission of Jesus does too. Here's what's true about every person in this room. You will live in what I call a mini mission or a grand mission. In a mini mission, you're at the center. Like you're the hero, okay? But you need to know that's not even like a B-rated movie, okay? Like, 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 like in, it's such a small story that were it to be a home video, your mom doesn't even want to watch it, okay? It's that small of a story if you're the hero. Like, yeah, it's all about you, but no one cares and there's no significance to it. Or we can hear Jesus say to us, no, I've invited you to be my ambassador. I want to, I want to invite you into this grand mission and we can give our lives for this mini mission where we're at the center. And some of you are like, but Ben, my story's big. I got this great deal this week. Magazine wrote about me. I mean, it was in the, you know, the back cover, but still, you know, it's about me. Um, It's still a small story. And in the great scheme of eternity and history, the fact that you contributed to San Francisco's boom during this historic time or that I did or that our church did, if that's the main point of the story, that's such an insignificant story in the end. But if during our lifetime, when a lot of crazy stuff's happening in this city, we begin to leverage what God's given us and we do it through our work and we do it through our resources and we do it through our service, all of a sudden we can become, become a part of a grand mission. In verse 15, here's what, um, here's what we read, that Jesus died for us, right? Uh, but many times we stop there. And what I want to invite you to do is when you read something in the scriptures, read beyond yourself. Am I the only one that just reads till I get to a part about me? Right? I'm like, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Awesome. God so loves Ben. Right? That he, and I just like period right there. When you read something amazing and that God has offered you, read beyond yourself. So here's what it says. What does it say? Verse 15. We've concluded this. Maybe it's 14, 15. I can't remember. We've concluded this. One has died for all. One has died for all. Why can't I be self-absorbed? Because I'm not the end of the story. It doesn't say one has died for one. It says that one has died for everyone. And we have to decide, do we want to be at the center of it all? Or do we want to join the one who really is the hero of this grand narrative? We believe that one has died for everyone. And so what does he say about that? He says that we've concluded this. The love of Christ controls or it can, compels us. That's verse 14, that one has died for all. It says it in 14 and 15. That's why I couldn't remember, okay? One has died for all. It says it in both verses. And then as you get into verse 18, it says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So it starts off personal, right? God sends Jesus to reconcile you to God. But does it stay personal? No, it becomes missional. It becomes communal. It becomes, oh, wait, the period doesn't come after me. It doesn't come after you. There's still something God's up to in the world. And so he goes on. He says that verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, meaning that we're God's representatives to the rest of the world he has sent us into. And God is making his appeal through us. When you and I read that, here's what we should think. If God is making his appeal through us, what kind of appeal is he making? 
Hey, Ben, let's move on. No, if he's making his appeal through you, for those of us who would say, God has reconciled me and I am his ambassador and he's making his appeal through my life. If his appeal is going through your life, what kind of appeal is it? He says, here's the message. Here's the message, verse 20. We implore you to be reconciled to God through Christ. When I become consumed with myself, I can make it all about me, even when I'm telling you it's about you. I can make my faith life entirely sound really super spiritual and it still be all about me. And listen, today is not about not loving what God has done for you personally. Some of you, that's the message you need today. And you need to end there today that God has sent Jesus to reconcile you, period. But for those of us who've been reconciled, what we have to come to grips with is that it doesn't, it doesn't end with us. The reason we started this church is because it doesn't end with me. The reason we started this church is because it doesn't end with us, the few of us that moved out here to start this church. The reason the Hope Project is because it doesn't end with us. We do not exist for ourselves. We do not exist for ourselves. The reason we should be willing to serve in this church and in our community and around the world is this reason, because Jesus died for us so that we might no longer live for ourselves. And he's invited us into this mission so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake was, di- was uh, died and was raised. The reason I should not hesitate, although I do sometimes, the reason I should not hesitate to tell you to give of your resources to the mission of this church that God has created here is because what we're trying to do, not perfectly, but what we're trying to do is push hard and run fast after the mission of Jesus. I should not hesitate, though I do hesitate at times, and maybe I still will hesitate in the future to say, to to, to persuade you not to spend 100% of your money on yourself. I should not hesitate to do that. I should not hesitate uh, to tell you, hey, don't just use your gifts and skills to serve the companies and organizations in corporate America. Use them. But I should not hesitate, hesitate to say, hey, use them in the lives of other people. Use them through this church and through our partnerships. I should be able to do that. And as we come to this evaluation time of the message, I want to give you some evaluation thoughts as well as um, some application thoughts. The first one is this really, really personal. Have you yet been reconciled to God? Like, has there ever been a time where you understood that Jesus took your sin so that you could take his righteousness and actually have a a relationship with God as father? If not, I would encourage you to take that step today. That you would understand that in Christ, you become a new creation. In Christ, you have this harmonious relationship back with God as father. Uh, And that's the first thing I would say. Uh, Second thing I would say is this. For those of us who've been reconciled to God through Jesus, we need to really take inventory and ask ourselves, am I living for a mini mission or some grand mission? Let me give you some practical ways so we just don't go out going, how do we know? How do we know? Here are some practical ways. Look over your calendar for the past 30 days. Your calendar's telling a story. Your calendar is given an indication of who's at the center. Your calendar is telling a story if you and I are living for ourselves or for something more noble, someone else beyond ourselves. Your calendar tells a story. Think about the last 30 days when it comes to your gifts and to your skills, the things that God has blessed you with. Um, How have you used those over the last 30 days? Again, I'm tempted to use my gifts and skills in ways that benefit me and make you think a lot of me. So are you. But look, look at that. And and then your bank account is telling a story, too, over the last 30 days. Some of you are like, Ben, the only story my bank account is telling me is, help! I'm desperate! I understand. I understand. But it really is. It's telling a story. Now, I'm like you. I can find ways to justify how I spend my time, my gifts. I'm busy. Ben, so many demands on my life. Anybody can relate. Yep. 
Really? Like two of you. We can justify it in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, our lives are telling a story. And they're telling one of two stories. This thing is all about me, or it's about Christ and what he's up to in the world. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to, to receive the ministry of reconciliation he's given you. And let's go into the world that he sent us into. In San Francisco, throughout North America, with this Hope Project. You know, you know why I cannot hesitate um, to say, hey, let's gl- gladly and with joy raise $100,000 to support our partners. Do you know why? Because at the end of the day, if you, if you don't spend 100% of your money on yourself, you're not going to miss out. I'm not going to miss out. But other people are going to miss out. I want to show you a couple of pictures to, to end our time together this morning. These are some of the children that we sponsor in, um, in Uganda. Our team just landed Thursday night uh, from being over there. So they'll be in the Connection Center, talk to them. Um, I've been twice over there myself, been able to meet the child that my family sponsors. We dialogue three or four times throughout the year. And the questions the kid asks when he writes back to my family, just amazing. Um, because he should be so self-absorbed. And he's asking, how are my kids doing? And what's going on at the Epic Church? And telling me his memory verses. And I feel guilty because he's nine and I'm 37. And... Um, but what we're doing there, please, someone tell me how I could spend a better $40 every month by sponsoring my kid over there. When I can go over there and see that he's been treated for malaria. And there's a, there's a church community that, that has strength because of this church coming into existence. We didn't come here to make a difference in San Francisco, period. We came here to see what God wanted us to do in San Francisco and in the world. And so we're going to continue to support kids like that. And let me show you some of the Pearl House girls, or as they call them, Pearls. As I understand it, to be able to even get these girls out of the situations they were in, um, our leaders over there had to go pay voodoo priests to be able to rescue the girls. So people gave money so that they would pay the priests. And then there's this house that was built, and they're trying to build another house. And what we're going to do through the Hope Project is allow two of them to live the next year, 2015, in the house by covering all of their expenses. Eight-year-old girls in sex trafficking and sex slavery. Now, somebody want to tell me what stock is a better long-term investment for me? You, you, want to, you want to sit across from me and say, no, Ben, I have a justifiable reason not to leverage what I've been given by God for things like this. Listen, I really believe the secret isn't in, oh, let's give more money. Let's give more time. Let's give more of our skills. I believe the secret is, and let's just get ourselves out of the middle. And when you and I get out of the middle, I think what we'll see is that When Jesus is at the middle, we're going to have the most joy in our lives, fulfill the greatest purpose for our lives. And here's what's amazing. There's even a selfish component to that. He's going to be able to take care of us in a better way than we can take care of ourselves. Why would we not jump into this full-fledged? Would you pray with me this morning? I know it's felt like a challenge this morning, but I want to encourage you also by just reminding you of some things. I believe that the death of Jesus, for our sake, it has taken care of our greatest issue. And for me, I just need to be reminded this week as I prepare this talk, God, I don't have to be so consumed with how things are going to work out for me, with whether we're going to have enough in the future, or whatever the church is going to do, or whatever's going to happen to my family. At the end of the day, God said if he would be willing to spare his own son, what else would he withhold from us that we actually need, not want, but need? So I hope that you will see in the death of Jesus for your sake that everything that you need has been taken care of. And then I also hope that we as a church would respond to the mission of Jesus and say, we don't want to live for ourselves. 
It's going to be your default. It's going to be our church's default. But let's reject it and say, you know what, God? Not for me. Not for me. I want you to be center. I want to be a part of the grand mission. I've lived for this mini mission for myself long enough. And I just want to get out of the way. God, I pray this morning that you would lead us into this. I pray that you would help us see what you've accomplished for us and what you've invited us into. God, I believe this is what would propel us out of lives absorbed in ourselves, out of spending 24-7 and 100% of our money and all of our skills and gifts in ways that benefit us. God, thank you that, that Jesus chose not to exist for himself, but he came to, to lay his life down so that we could have life that is true life, that is eternal life. And may we take this message of reconciliation across our city, across this continent, and ultimately, God, across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand and let's sing as, as we respond to God's movement.